And my coach was awesome. She just goes, if you come to training and hit my times that I want you to hit, I could not care what you look like. I don't even know if she knows it. I don't know if I've actually told her because yes, we worked so hard, but I think her telling me that took a weight off my shoulders like you would not believe because all I've ever heard is, oh, you're so skinny, you look great. Or, oh my God, you've got cellulite in your thighs, you're going to run slow. Like I, it's just, like now that I'm reflecting on it, it just makes me laugh. Like it, it used to really eat away at me, but now I was just, I'm like, how could people, like, how could you say that to someone? From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share inspiring chats to help you live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief, Lisa Gebelagen. If you've been inside an F45 studio in the last 12 months, you'd instantly recognise Morgan Mitchell's face. But what you might not be familiar with is her story and how she had to reclaim her fitness for herself. Morgan was just 21 years old when she made her Olympic debut in the 400-metre sprint at the 2016 Rio Games, cementing her place as one of Australia's most promising athletic talents. But her success was marred by intense pressure. Comparisons to Cathy Freeman came thick and fast, and though it looked like Morgan's future success in the sport was all but guaranteed, she wanted to forge her own path. In this chat with digital writer Jess Campbell, Morgan shares how she navigated body image pressures and comparison in the sport, what she's learnt from the sport and how a female-driven team has made all the difference to her training and personal happiness. As Morgan will be the first to tell you, anyone who runs is a runner, regardless of your body shape or size. And here she gives some tips on how to embark on a consistent running journey of your own while recognising the importance of recovery and self-care. I guess just to start, like to go back, what or who was it that sort of got you into athletics? And do you have like a first memory of what it was like stepping out onto the track? I'd definitely say it was my mum. And I think as kids, everyone's parents just wanted to like shove them into sports so they were doing at least something. Um, So yeah, I would definitely have to say mum just put us into it. She put us in every sport to see what it was that we loved and mine just happened to be running. Was it the case where you were sort of naturally like gifted at it or? It's funny. Like I hate admitting it, but I I was quite naturally gifted at it. I just didn't realise though. That was the thing. It was like, oh yeah, you kind of just win and you're with all your friends and you don't think anything of it. Cause I was more like, I was more happy that I got to hang out with my mates than I was (laughs) running. Like the running part was just the bonus. And I guess that was like my first, I'll never forget my first memory for some weird reason. It was just a 60-metre race as a seven-year-old girl and my cousins came to watch and we never really see them. So it was such a big thing that they were coming down to watch us run. And I remember, like, I wanted to show them everything. I was like, this is the track. These are the hurdles. And I was like, well, I'm going to show you the canteen. And that's all I remember is like, taking them to the canteen and just getting really sick because I ate, like, four hot dogs. Like, it was just so weird. So is this sort of like a little athletics type? Yeah. Oh, so good. So going from that sort of little athletics environment, when was the moment that you sort of thought, okay, I want to make a career out of this? Like did it arrive pretty early or was it something sort of later on that you thought this is what I want to do? I think it arrived pretty early because we had the, obviously the 2000 Olympics when I first started because that was massive, but definitely the 2006 Com Games because after watching the Melbourne Com Games, I think that's when it clicked. I was like, oh, wow. So I would have been 12 years old. I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. This is awesome. 
And then I gave it up for a bit, uh, for about four years, between 14 and 18. And then in high school, I saw that Rio were going to host the Olympic Games. And that's when I was like, oh, I want to run again. I want to go to the Olympics. And then four years later, we did it. It was just so weird how the universe kind of like. What? So so you gave it up for four years as in like you were just playing other sports kind of thing? Yeah. So I gave it up for netball. Um, my sister and I, we made a few of the state and national, uh, yeah, national teams together. And um, yeah, I kind of just got bored of netball in the end. <laughs> and then still like had the self-belief that, yeah, I'm going to make the 2016 Rio Olympics. I think I just thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> I, I was so naive. I reckon as a kid, you just don't really understand. I think that's a good thing, though, is to go in clueless because you don't really understand what it takes, but you'll do anything to get there. So that's kind of the approach we took is like, you know, 2014. No, sorry, that was 2012. So 2012, I was super unfit, made the junior team. 2013, I took a year off because I got injured from netball. That was my last year. And then 2014 is when we started to really ramp things up because I had to go from a junior to a senior. And it all just pretty much snowballed into there, like into the Olympics. We got better and better every year. Do you think that helps in some ways sort of when you're naturally quite good at something? You almost wonder if you're doing it because you're good or because like you really love it and you want to. And it can be like hard to find that distinction sometimes when you haven't seen way. Yeah, because I became complacent like – more so when I was younger, I was quite used to, you know, coming at least in the top three no matter what. And then you have one race where you run poorly and you're like, oh, I don't really want to do it anymore. And then when I kind of came back to the sport, it was like, oh, no, I really, really want this. Like I've always wanted to go to the Olympics and I believe I can do it. So that's when I kind of realised like, oh, I'm doing it because I actually want to be here and I actually want to compete and I want to be able to see how fast I can run, call myself an Olympian and tick all of those boxes. Whereas when I was younger, I was just doing it because I was good and it was fun to hang out. So, I mean, you would. Were- 21 22 at Rio oh my god obviously at that point it's like you're used to it like your calendar revolves around races and like you know what the experience is like to step out onto a track for for a big race how then is the Olympics different like do you feel the gravity of the situation especially when it's like your Olympic debut tell you what's quite funny (laughs) is not really (laughs) I think we did well to separate the fact that, it, like, you know, it's just the name, the Olympics, that being the pinnacle of sport. I kind of just had to separate that from the competition and realise, like, I versed these girls last year in Beijing and then the year before I versed them again at Com Games. It's like our competition at all doesn't change. The only thing that, like, it felt like I was getting punched in the face when you step out there and you realise it is the Olympics. It's something that I've wanted since I was a little girl. That was the only thing that freaked me out. But I can honestly say, like, Beijing 2015 were the world champs. They hosted the world champs in China. And that was easily the greatest atmosphere I've ever experienced ever across any sport. Wait, what made Beijing so, like, incredible atmosphere-wise? Oh, the stadium was just absolutely salt. Like, it, you could not get a standing seat anywhere, let alone a seat. Like, I've never seen that many people <laughs> in a stadium. And we were competing the same day as Bolt, just the, well, just before him, so we got to watch him after. And I kid you not, like I still get goosebumps. The way they were like banging on the seats and banging on the stadium, you thought it was going to collapse. Yeah, I think the Olympics for me, I think, yeah, I was kind of, I was still nervous, but yeah, it was just like any other comp. It's funny because even I think with Tokyo, and I know, I feel like Tokyo was the first sort of Olympics that highlighted just like the struggles athletes go through in the sense that obviously it was different and 
because we were sort of stuck in those really strict um, lockdown restrictions. We had athletes coming back from Tokyo and then having to quarantine. And it's set up this dialogue of how it can be so hard to go from like the pinnacle of sport to suddenly just returning home and sort of having to reassess goals and all of that. I'm wondering for you, like, like what is it like when you're sort of on this trajectory of like these peak competitions and then have to suddenly like come home? I think I got used to it definitely after to- uh, Rio for myself. Like I remember after Rio I had that issue of what what do we call it? I think it's just called like the post-Olympics crash where you don't really know what to do with yourself because you've had the highest of all highs and then life just immediately resumes to normal. You know what I mean? And that really I struggled with that for a long time leading into 2017. Um, But with Tokyo, I think because I had so much going on that year and I was already injured, I kind of crashed really early. (laughs) I know it's it's hard to admit, but I'm quite vulnerable and I've, I've come to terms with it. But yeah, yeah, we we got injured quite early in the season and then competed and I was just ready to come home. So for me, it was very different to someone who competed well and then they get back home, they're in quarantine, you know, reassessing, you know, like just going through the process and through the motion again of, wow, I really did that. And then stepping out and it's like, because the Olympics were two weeks ago, it's almost like everyone forgets they even happened because life now just, you know, ticks over real quick. But no, I was, I mean, I, I had to get straight back into work. So I really had no time to digest so, yeah, I guess it, it was definitely different for me, but I'm kind of glad it happened that way because 2016 it was really hard to jump back into normal life and be a person again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and, like, obviously it's your first experience of an Olympic Games as well. Like, did someone sort of offer you advice or was it just a thing you felt like you navigated largely on your own? I definitely navigated that part on my own. I definitely got word from um, past athletes saying, yeah, just be careful because you'll feel like absolute shit pretty much after it like it's literally you feel like depressed because you don't know what to do with yourself it's very interesting and I think it's because we are individual athletes and we're so like you need to have an ego whether you show it or not you still got like that deep inner sense of self-belief so when that all goes and you've got really nothing to show for it because you're back into the real world it's a bit of a stab you know what I mean so yeah I just kind of for me my I told my coach I need some more time off because I'm just not ready to come back And he was really good at the time. My coach at the time was awesome. He was like, yeah, we'll just start when you're ready, but don't forget we have world champs and you really want to go to London. I mean, it's one of those things where I guess no one can really relate because, you know, how many people in the world are Olympic can say that they're an Olympic athlete. And I guess like with Tokyo though, did you sort of feel that drag of momentum? Like what was it like when you have like this goal and then it sort of, is dangled a bit further from you. At the start, I was shattered because training was finally coming together. And it uh, honestly, it killed me when I first heard that they would be cancelled, but I kind of knew. And then I can't, like, I realized with all, with everything that was going on and seeing the rest of the world shut down and then seeing that people were, like dropping like flight, like people were losing families and houses and everything at the drop of a hat because they couldn't work to survive or they'd get sick and then they'd pass away. That just put things into perspective and I didn't really. I mean, I cared, but I didn't really have the time to care knowing there was so much worse going on rather than like just a sporting event happening. So it put things into perspective for me. And it was good because I said to my coach, oh, we've got another year to get even fitter. So why don't we just focus on that? And if they happen in 2021, great. And if they don't, then we're just going to have to reassess for Paris 2024. But right now we're just two people who can't change the world or change the mind of the IOC. 
so and I I genuinely 2020 I actually loved it like my friend Michelle and I we trained at a very steady pace but we got super fit and I was really happy towards the end and it just sucked that in 2021 when we did open up I um hurt my Achilles that was the only issue I think that's when I started to reflect and I'm like, damn, like, why couldn't they happen in 2020? Like, this would have been so different. You never know until it happens. (laughs) Before, like, sort of, I I feel like I've jumped the gun because I do want to ask, like, obviously you were competing in the 400 metres. That's where you made your Olympic debut and all of this. And in some ways it felt like you had a future mapped out for you, like a future of success. You turned around and were like, I'm actually going to change to the 800 metres. Like for an outsider looking at that, I thought it was super empowering because you had so many critics doubting your ability and, you know, even yourself, like there was uncertainty if you were going to achieve the same success that you did in the 400, but you still went out and you still did it. In your opinion, what was it like making that decision? What led me to do it? was just because I was sick of the comparison to past athletes. Oh, you're going to be the next XX, X and Y and Z and whatever. You're going to be the next Kathy. You're going to be the next this. You're going to be the next that. Just keep at it. And I was like, well, I don't really know, but we had, like, I don't know if these people knew, but we had different upbringings. I don't think I can just be a blueprint of the athlete before me. And I felt so much pressure to always perform. I felt so much pressure to always be a certain person. And then I would always, I remember when I was signed to the Institute, like that my weight was such a big topic for everyone all the time. And I think I just got over that part as well. They were more worried about my weight than my performance. Yeah, I had to get BMI testing every three weeks. Who, who was implementing that? Was that coming from coaches or just? Athletics Australia, yeah. And if I showed you photos of what I used to look like in 2017, because it, it just became... I probably wouldn't even eat breakfast. I don't even remember eating breakfast. I'd train, then eat half a muesli bar, and then for dinner maybe half a salad roll. Like I I usually race at 62 and I got down to 58 kilos. And, like, for me, I just I remember thinking, you know, 2018, I gained all the weight back, then people are calling me fat without people realising it's, like, also mental abuse. <laughs> and, yeah, I just went on a three-month European trip um, overseas just to kind of chill out and, you know, go on a holiday. And I came back and I asked my friend's mum, who's a coach, who's now my coach, Elizabeth Matthews. I was like, hey, I'm going to quit the 400. Would you like to coach me? And she was like, yeah, sure. And I said to her, in 2018, <laughs> overweight and coming off a pretty fun European trip. <laughs> so I had not run a step in three months. I was like, how can we can go to Worlds in 2019? And she was like, oh, let's just focus on Tokyo. You've got at least two years to get right. I was like, no, I will go to Worlds. <laughs> I'm so stubborn. I had the self-belief, but I think when you've been beaten down so many times, I had this sense of like, I just have to prove these people wrong. Like, I still love athletics. I didn't know if I loved it or not. And I was like, no, I still love athletics. I just don't like the environment. And she was great. She told them, she was like, Morgan is to not stand on the scale. Morgan is to not get weighed, to not be pinched with those little clamps. Like, leave us alone and let her do her own thing. And then along with that came like, like someone made a negative YouTube video about me. People were talking crap about me. So the early 2019, my life was insane. And I just said to my coach, let's just keep running fast because we'll do it. And then we did. And it was so worth it. <laughs> it's, it's crazy like hearing that story behind it because, you know, we see these snapshot victory images or like the image on the podium. and But you don't see like as a fan or as an audience, you don't see all the things like an athlete is actually sacrificing and going through off the track and it's well I mean like it's crazy to hear that 
your weight was even coming up in conversation like that's relevant it's crazy but I mean do you think having the input of a female coach sort of helped you in in any way like was there a sense of protection from that environment that had been so the reality is so many people would have given up and not gotten through that the thing for me like when I was transitioning I got rid of my whole team so I found a new coach and I was like yep she's a female my sports psych yep she's a female my manager yep she's a female (laughs) it's just incredible and I I know like some people genuinely like laugh or scold at it like oh you don't always need women rah 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 like no but women understand women or like we want to take the time out to actually understand each other and that's one thing I found I just couldn't get with men. They just didn't want to know. They just say, yeah, toughen up and move on. Do this, do that. Like you shouldn't be complaining without understanding because they've never been in a woman's body. And my coach was awesome. She just goes, if you come to training and hit my times that I want you to hit, I could not care what you look like. I don't even know if she knows it. I don't know if I've actually told her because, yes, we worked so hard. But I think her telling me that took a weight off my shoulders like you would not believe because all I've ever heard is, oh, you're so skinny, you look great, or, oh, my God, you've got cellulite in your thighs, you're going to run slow. Like I, it's just, in, it, like now that I'm reflecting on it, it just makes me laugh. Like it, it used to really eat away at me, but now I was just, I'm like, how could people, like how could you say that to someone? It's like mental and emotional abuse. But as, as you said, like it's such a, like in some ways it's so incredible that you, and like such a mature response that you were able to make that distinction between okay, I do love athletics. It's just the environment I don't love because I feel like so many people, when you start having to analyze the food and and then that's like feeding into what you look like and you're having people comment on that, it's all within like you presenting yourself as a runner. Now we're told like you've got a body and you run, you're a runner. Like it's still, it's still so hard to not feel like you have to conform to a certain, you know, image or whatever. So, like, yeah, it's just really incredible that you were able to make that distinction and, like, still um, stick with the sport. It was quite funny because I was t- we were talking about it um, before, my, like, we're at a girl's dinner, a girl's lunch, sorry, on the weekend, and one of my friends, she's doing a lot to, she's a model and she's doing a lot to kind of try and shut that body, negative body image talk out of the industry. And I just said to her, because she was asking the same question, and she goes, how crazy, like we're just saying how crazy it is when in 2017 you could, I was so thin, but I saw a completely different thing. Like I, I saw a completely different body, which blows my mind that I could trick myself. And I think that's also where it comes from is like, if I could see that and my mind can trick me into doing that, like what else am I capable of? I think that's when I made the switch as well, like going back and thinking, oh, I looked like 10 kilos heavier when I clearly wasn't. Maybe I can, like, make worlds. Maybe I can make the next Olympics. Maybe I can break the Australian record. But it's obviously a lot harder when you (laughs) – because then it's like my mind tricking myself to think, can I do that? Can I do that? Can I do that? But it's like, yeah, if I can see that and it's not even there, maybe I can do stuff without even realising it. So it's just crazy. And I think that's something I'd like to get into, especially for female and male athletes, because it's something that's talked about but not heavily addressed because people are still too scared. But it does sound like something that, um, unfortunately, is quite common. I do want to ask, like, when you switched to the 800, obviously the training is so different. Was there anything that surprised you or that you weren't sort of expecting in terms of, I don't know, whether it was mileage or just, um, 
like how quickly you found the endurance side of it and that kind of thing? Definitely the mileage. Oh my God, just far out. Like, I mean, it was a steady build, but when I say it was a steady build, I was, uh, it still rocked me because I would probably do, I'll be lucky to do 10K in a week as a 400 runner. I start with Liz and she's got me on 25K and that was, oh my God, oh my. My first long run was 6K and I stopped three or four times. And we slowly built up in that year. We, we started from 25K and then built up to 70. That took a whole year because it's like if we did it, if we had increased way too quickly at a rapid rate, I would have gotten injured or sick. We took our time and it was nice that we were seeing results as we went along. I mean, the 800 girls, that's another thing. I have to take my hat off. It's definitely a lot harder than 400 training. But I didn't realize how fast, like even during training and during a race, like the pace is hot from the start. But it's pretty much a sprint. You just double the distance. It's the exact same feeling. Like, Talk us through sort of what makes 800 such a brutal event because it is. Oh, my God. I, it's, it's funny because you learn to love the feeling, which is quite psychotic. Like, so my PB for the four is 51. And I thought going through the first lap of an 800, eight seconds slow would be okay. So we go through in like 59, 58, and that's still quite a strong sprint because you're running sub 60. So sub 60 is still considered a sprint. And it's the fact that you've got a whole nother lap to do and you don't realize how long it is until you do it. And in the 400, you feel the lactic kick in probably 80 meters, 50 meters to go. It really starts to burn. If you blow up and if you don't time it right, the thing is, is that you'll blow up at 250. So with 250 meters to go. And if everyone's still going at that one pace and you're fading, which is what I have done many times, yes, so obvious. <laughs> the line just seems to get longer and longer and longer and further and further and further away. And um, it's just this kind of, I can't even explain the lactic feeling. It's just, it is hell. I'd not once ever vomited in any 400, in any like race, any training, nothing. I would never, ever vomit. I reckon I did a good 10 times racing and training in the 800. Oh, it just looks so, like it's the one event that I'm like, that does not like a good time I know so I know you mentioned um that you posted you had the four months off and you were also injured was it your first running sort of related injury that you're having to deal with then yeah yeah so I did it this time last year in Feb and then we ran all the way through it and my Achilles had partially torn before the Olympics I just wanted to keep it on the I didn't want to be that person that's like I'm injured feel sorry for me and then I took four months off just to kind of reset because I'd never been injured before. So, yeah, it was like that's why I was I was upset, obviously, but I couldn't be too upset because people go throughout their whole career every season getting a niggle or some sort of injury. And I was like to my coach, to be honest, I wanted you to take me to the Olympics. We ticked that box and I'm sorry we didn't compete the way we did. But to say this is my first injury in 10 years of running, I had a pretty good run. Um and I just said to her this year, we just want to get super fit and super healthy before we compete because I told her, like, I know what I'm capable of. We've seen the times in training before um, and we, I know we can do it, but let's just do it right this time because there's no point in making a team when you're injured and, you know, you're struggling because it's not good for anyone. It's not good for the team. It's not good for your coach. It's not good for yourself and your mental health. Like, I just didn't want to have to go through that again. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like I'm always, I always say, yeah, I'll make it back. I'll make it back. Like, I've never not made it back for the major champs this year, but at the same time I have come to the understanding like if I'm still needing to fix it and make sure it's 100% and it means I have to miss com games or whatever, then so be it. My main goal now is like going to Paris and getting it right. 
four months though for any athlete is a is quite a considerably long time. Obviously, as a runner, like you're dying to run, but there's that sort of mental and emotional toll it takes on you as well. Like when you're looking at sort of four months off and knowing that you're going to lose fitness, lose strength, all of those sort of marginal gains that you spend like so much of your time working towards, like what is it that sort of keeps you positive? I think for me, I just like to keep busy. And I've come to the understanding of, especially now that I'm older, I know athletics isn't my whole life. And I'm really comfortable with knowing that, yes, I'm an athlete, but I'm also like five other things on top of that. I think that's the humbling part of it is like, oh, maybe my body just needed the break because I've never actually had a proper break. And taking that time to reflect on the year and reflecting on what I would do differently, how would I, how I would approach things differently as an athlete, I think that's what keeps me going because I want to try again and I want to get it right. And it's just, I love learning. I don't, I don't know. I'm like, my partner would tell you, all my friends would tell you, I'm a nerd for information. If I can learn something from it and be a better person, then for me that's just like gold ticked. And I think that's what keeps me going is like, okay, this is new. It's a new it's a new part of my life that I've never actually endured. So why don't we just try and navigate this because it could come up again. And if we get it right now, when it does come up again, it's going to be a breeze because I won't lie. Like the first two months was a struggle and obviously all my friends are running really well and I'm so happy for them, but it is hard sitting on the sidelines and it's something that I'm just kind of processing and I'd go and watch races and I'd think, yeah, I still want to do this. I still want to be here. And that's enough for me to be like, yeah, <laughs> let's get back on the train and keep going. <laughs> Like a lot of athletes don't have that distinction of this isn't my whole identity because you spend so much of your life like chasing a medal or an Olympic Games and your identity becomes so wrapped up in like your times. It can be really hard to find those things that, you know, motivate you or that you just enjoy outside of the sport. I try not to, I try to word it right so I don't come across as arrogant, but I think because I do, I am that nerd for like learning and information. I've always wanted to try new things. Like I've taught myself piano. I've, you know, started learning Spanish. I've got like, you know, a few things off the track commercially because I do enjoy the, I love fashion more than anything. I love like, not so much the model. Oh, I do like the modeling side, but I love like the behind the scenes side of like being able to play with the clothes and all of that stuff um and that's what I try to tell some of my friends who are athletes it's like find a hobby and actually just go for it because I get that when we're in the world of athletics we think it's a be all and end all but in the scheme of everything athletics is so small and it's quite insignificant like not until I stepped out of it I was like oh yeah it's great but when I look around how many people would even know that the Sydney Track Classic was on on the weekend and that kind of made me realize like oh, well, it's not, I'm not here to prove anything to anyone. It's actually okay to want other things as well as still running. And for me, I guess I just got very lucky with a few of the deals that I have now that I can kind of put my time into things I enjoy. And so now for me, it's just like, yeah, finding that nice balance and understanding. I tell all my sponsors, like I tell my family, everyone, I'm just like, okay, I'm an athlete. I still want to run, but please understand that I do love my life off the track. And that's what's making me happy, just as happy as running is and if I'm happy away from the track then yeah we'll kill it on the track but just let me do my thing. What are some of the things that you do outside of running to sort of practice I don't know like mental health but also just like a holistic idea of health and wellness? Um, For me my mental health I definitely say like I'm loving my study and my piano for sure because 
piano got me through 2017 when I did have that really dark period. But yeah, I like, I don't know, I think especially now living in Sydney, I'm a, I'm that girl that loves going on the coast walk. <laughs> but you know how relaxing it is. Like you're walking along the beach for miles. And I, that's the thing I love, just coffee in hand. And like every Sunday, because I do actually genuinely love like the beauty side of things. I'm not massive. I mean, yeah, I'll wear makeup when I have to, but I just love switching off on a Sunday. No emails, no nothing. And I have like this full on from shower to bed, 10 step guide of like hair mask, face mask, you know, a whole facial routine, a whole hair routine before I go to bed. And that just sets me up. But honestly, it is like my number one thing. I love skincare. I would spend so much money on skincare. You have no idea. It's like, it is so, it's, I don't know. It's something I enjoy because it takes a good hour to get through it. And then we just chuck in a movie and I fall asleep or whatever. But it's just nice coming down away from a busy week of whatever I've been doing. And to just reset, I think that's so important because I'm usually like a go, 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 go. What can I do next kind of person? That's the thing. I feel like skincare is the thing, you know, as much as everyone wants to joke and laugh about it and as trivial as it might be, like it does have a way of just slowing you down. Um, But I do want to ask because, I mean, like Game Changers came out 2019, like overnight. It seemed like you became the face of, this plant-based eating yeah like what was that experience like for you and I guess I mean obviously we've talked a little bit about food and athletics and the sort of scrutiny so many athletes place under that but for you like what was it about going plant-based that you found really worked for you and sort of benefited your performance um definitely so I went plant-based at the end of 2014 so we'll say 2015 I think the main two it was my recovery I remember just waking up and being able to get on to the next day like training was just no issue my recovery was insane I just wake up and I'd feel like a fresh new athlete no matter what the session was the day before whereas usually in the past it would take like two days to start feeling good again and another one that I always tell people is it was my health like my overall health because before going plant-based it was so weird I just must have had a very weak immune system because I would get tonsillitis two to three times a year religiously. And I had glandular fever in 2012. I remember like they wouldn't let me cut out my tonsils. There was a whole thing. And as soon as I went plant-based, I haven't been sick since. And that was a freaky thing for me is like all the inflammation and stuff that you find in other foods. Because I wasn't eating it, it's like my body had the time to just flush it all out and settle down. And now I just don't get sick. And that for me was like, okay, let's keep this going because getting tonsillitis as a child all throughout your high school teenage years it was the worst thing ever that was definitely the main one and for me as well I think ditching the dairy helped my skin a lot like I never I'd never really break out like I'd get the small pimples on the forehead but now it's just like not an issue and I can't convince anyone I never tell people because it's obviously different for everybody but if you actually take the time to sit down and get the diet right then it will work for you so what are your what would be some of your like go-to meals Oh, definitely burrito. You can get like pulled jackfruit or fake meat or tofu. So there's your broad base. And then all you need is like rice, beans, and whatever veggies like mushrooms, cheese. You can get dairy-free cheese and lettuce. And you can still put all the veggies that you need. You just have to substitute the meat and you can still make it quite filling. Um, Another one, I love Asian fusion. So I love like, I love making like rice noodle bowls. And it's the same vibe. It's like rice noodles, Chinese mushrooms, bok choy, chili, tofu or whatever I'm feeling, but I usually go for tofu and um, bean sprouts. 
it can still be done. You've just got to think, okay, there's dairy-free everything, like dairy-free cheese, dairy-free yogurt, whatever. And then the meat alternative would always be like tempeh, tofu, Beyond Meat burgers, like cauliflower. You can make cauliflower popcorn, like popcorn chicken. So that's the only thing is like once you can change that, then it just makes everything easy. Like lasagna you can easily make. You can, yeah, so there's an alternative for everything, but I always go for rice bowls and burritos. Okay, Morgan, obviously this is the this edition of Women's Health is the running special. And I want to ask you what would be your like biggest tips for someone who's just starting their running journey? Oh, I would definitely find an online program for sure. Grab a friend because even for me, I learned that coming back from injury and going through COVID, you need someone there pretty much like as a hype buddy and you can kind of like chase goals together. Um, and that actually helped so much because you feel like the progression, you progress quite quickly. And I always say like, no matter what, I still do it to this day is to have little incentives for why you're doing it. So at the end of the week for me, cause I'm quitting coffee at the end of my week, I'm allowed, I shouldn't say I'm allowed, but I'll go out for coffee and have like a big fat breakfast with friends. If I hit this goal, then I'm allowed to do it. And I think that's what having small micro goals along the way kind of keep people ticking along. So they're probably my biggest tips to just start up to keep you going to keep you interested um and just have fun and like to understand if you want to take a day off take a day off and rest like you don't have to force anything because you do actually get to your end goal regardless of whether you've had the rest now or later but if you feel like you need it listen to your body morgan thank you so much for your time today honestly had such a blast chatting with you thank you morgan and jess If you'd love more on Morgan, pick up a copy of the latest issue of Women's Health Australia with Morgan on the cover. It also features a free two-week trial at F45 for all readers. This episode was hosted by Jess Campbell and produced by me, Lisa Gabilagan, with additional audio editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, visit womenshealth.com.au or find us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Thank you and see you next time.